Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope uh, you're celebrating Maroon Friday today. We'll be celebrating Maroon Friday in the state of Alabama. Once we uh, finish up the show here, we'll uh, pack a bag and we'll head east. Probably going to stay in Montgomery tonight and uh, we'll head down to see uh, Headland High School and see Mississippi State Commitment Caleb Dozier in action. That's the plan, and then we'll uh, hightail it back to Montgomery, spend the night, and go over and hopefully see Mississippi State win an intercollegiate football game against Auburn. We're going to break down the game today. I'm going to talk about uh, you know what you should be aware of and some things that are related to Mississippi State. We also got a new football commitment last night. We'll break that down in our final segment of the show. And Mississippi State's long-awaited baseball schedule has been released, and uh, I'll give you my thoughts on that and give you some insight that maybe perhaps um, you don't have. Broke down the schedule a little bit yesterday in a free article at jeanspage.com. This morning got up and um, shared a few comments from Zach Arnett that he made last night about uh, Mike Wright and the Bulldog offense, and then uh, latest installment of the Bones out there. Yeah, it's available for VIP members. It's been a good week at Jeans Page. We had a really good week. A lot of good content. I think uh, only one day we had less than 10 stories. One day, Wednesday, we had 13. Most of those are free, but uh, there is some value in the membership, of course, and there are some things that we do put behind the paywall. We encourage you to come be a part of that. You can subscribe and give us a test drive just for one buck, 30 days for just $1, and, of course, uh, 30% off the annual membership price also available to you. Uh, we look forward to having you. But, uh, yeah, it's been a good week. We've been really happy. And people have said, you know, Steve, hey, guys turned out a ton of content. Well, this is kind of what I envisioned when I took over, you know, just over a year ago, you know, when I bought the, the company from uh, from Gene himself. And, uh, you know, it's like the newspaper will give you one or two stories. You know, we're going to give you about 10 or so a day. And we want to be the preeminent source for Mississippi State Athletics. And, uh, and we are. But we don't take that for granted. We continue to strive hard to produce more content. Matter of fact, um, unless something changes, uh, jeanspage.com of 247 Sports will be the only media entity that uh, covers Mississippi State's exhibition game in men's basketball on Sunday against Southern Miss. Our Justin Frommer will uh, hightail it to Hattiesburg after a state's football game against Auburn on Saturday. So busy weekend for Justin, a lot of uh, windshield time. And, uh, again, things can always change. Somebody may decide, hey, I'm going to go check it out. Uh, but as of now, we're the only media entity that's uh, on schedule to cover that game. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too. If you don't already have a raving love affair with the amazing delicacies that are afforded to you at Bulldog Burger Company, you soon will. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Uh, it's trust the science. It's in writing. It's on the menu. Test me on that. I think you'll be excited with what you have. And then, of course, those great restaurant-quality hamburgers. It doesn't matter what you want to go with. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit partial to the pimentology at bacon. I need as much protein in my life as I can get. You know, I'm getting old. Uh, so I like going in there and putting my feet under their table and enjoying their fine selections and their fine service. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Get that chocolate shake or the Nutella shake to go. Maybe get that bread pudding to go. I'm a big, big proponent of dessert to go. 
If that's not a part of your dining regimen, you should add it today. And so many great options to choose from at Bulldog Burger Company. At time, we'll have some live events. We'll do some live music over in Tupelo. We'll do some tap takeovers. And so uh, there's always a little bonus opportunity when you go to Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, go go sure and check them out, whether it be a night out with friends or a night out with family or perhaps a business luncheon, whatever. Bulldog Burger Company can accommodate you. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. And I've been looking forward to breaking down this game for you guys. I have been. I spent a lot of time kind of getting to know Auburn this week. You know how it goes. It's like you, you, know, you get to know the other teams in the conference kind of peripherally, right? I mean, it's like until we get ready to play them, you don't really dig in and kind of get inside the numbers and things like that. I've, I've done a lot of it this week. Of course, uh, this year I've really committed myself to making Tuesday like our opponent day. We've always kind of transcribed the head coach's interviews, but uh, I've done the player availabilities and, and everything else, just kind of getting a sense of what the pulse is about our opponents. Last week, I'll tell you, the Arkansas Razorbacks were extremely confident about playing Mississippi State. And many of our fans were extremely confident about our Arkansas play at Mississippi State. And not in a, ne- in a positive way, right? I even saw some predictions uh, the Friday before the Arkansas game that we would lose by 30. We didn't. We won the game in Arkansas with the, the lowest point total of the Sam Pittman era outside of that 2021 loss to Georgia when Arkansas was a talk of college football. And they went out there and got a lesson in uh, being shown their place by the George Bulldogs. And so this week, it's been a much different attitude. I mean, watching the player availability for Auburn, and, and they, they made several players available. And of course, uh, watching Hugh Freeze's post-game press conference after Ole Miss and watching him again on Monday, as I, as I referenced on Wednesday, he did not get a single question about Mississippi State. And I think a lot of it is uh, talking to some of their people at Auburn. They're just more concerned about what's happening with them. It's not about the opponent. It's like, hey, we have got so many operational issues here. We've got to fix that. Okay, Mississippi State's Mississippi State. But, you know, it's not about a matchup. It's about, hey, we got to figure out what we're doing. You know, and that's, that's apparent in the numbers. So let's take a quick look at the Tigers. Uh, it's been an interesting year. Three and four on the year for the Tigers. Of course, they open up with a 59-14 win over UMass. Everybody thought, hey, New brand of offense. Well, you'd expect to score 59 points against UMass. I mean, you would. You'd think you should be able to out-athlete them. And listen, I know Auburn is not maybe as talented roster-wise as they normally are because uh, Harson and those guys really struggled to recruit. And you had several players that hit the portal. And they tried to kind of offset that with some uh, several portal entrants and transfers this year. But it's still Auburn. It is. And I don't care what you say or what you believe. You know, they should always smash UMass, and they did. They went on the road to California and uh, win the game 14-10. to 10. And it, it's very reminiscent of State's 7-3 win over Arkansas. It was absolutely a snooze fest in many respects if you like offensive football. You know, it's just one of those things you look at and you begin to tell, you know, hey, if you like defense, maybe this is for you. But um, – those offenses were both pretty inept in that ball game. And listen, this Cal team is not great. You know, they're three and four on the year themselves. You know, anytime that you go across the country and play a power five team in their own backyard, I mean, that's worthy of some level of respect, but it was a snooze fest. 
And then, you know, it has not been, you know, a good uh, conference slate for California. They're one and three. So, again, you're happy to have the win, but it's not maybe the win that maybe some people thought it would be. The next week they bounce back, uh, Auburn we're talking about, and beat Samford 45-13. Well, then you get into SEC play. You're 3-0. and You're thinking, we just got to find three wins somewhere, find a way to get to a bowl game. Last year you didn't make it. Texas A&M gets those guys 27-10. to The next week they scared Georgia to death and Jordan Hare. Georgia makes the plays late to win, makes a 27-20 victory. They travel to Baton Rouge, and some things kind of fall apart with the Auburn defense. And listen, this LSU offense is nothing to sneeze at. And having a historic year in many respects. Uh, 48-18 is your final in the Battle of the Tigers. And then last week, and you know that game meant an awful lot uh, to Hugh Freeze. You know, the players got up for it. And it was a game for a while, but in the second half, Ole Miss – Again, made the plays necessary, and that's what a lack of depth does to you. You can fight and scratch and claw and put yourself in a good position, but then late in the game, if you don't have depth, teams have a tendency to outlast you. That's kind of what happened here. You know, Auburn scores a touchdown late to kind of make this score look a little more respectable. You know, and it's guys, it was 20, 28 to 7. Excuse me, 28-14, late in this ballgame. And, uh, you know, listen, Ole Miss has some offensive skill. But it's 28-14 in this game, you know, with eight minutes to go. And then uh, Auburn kind of scratched the drive together late to make it 28-21. And then it's a minute to go in the game. And so it was really an academic score. I mean, yes, technically they could have gotten an onside kick and maybe uh, made some things happen and tied the game. But for all intents and purposes, this ball game was over because Ole Miss up two scores midway through the fourth quarter against an Auburn offense. It's been awfully anemic this year. Awfully anemic. And so, again, you run the numbers here. They're averaging 17.25 points a game in SEC play. Haven't scored more than 21 points against an SEC opponent, and that came last week. Look at the defensive side of things. They haven't held anybody in the SEC under 27 points. So you're giving up at least four scores a game, and you're only getting around three. Well, that math doesn't work out well for you, for sure. So it's an interesting schedule down the stretch. They'll get state this week. Then they go to Vanderbilt. You ought to be able to out-athlete Vanderbilt. Then you go to Arkansas. That could be an awfully interesting game. Toss-up games tend to favor the home team. Then you get New Mexico State. That should be a win. And you've got the Iron Bowl. And so, again, you start breaking this thing down here. Yeah, Vanderbilt and New Mexico State should be wins. That gets you to five. got to find one somewhere else, whether it be State or Arkansas. I don't think they have the the talent to beat Alabama even in Jordan-Hare. But stranger things have happened in the Iron Bowl. So we're going to get their best effort. And, again, it just really feels like they're very frustrated this week. You know, again, losing four games in a row does that to you. And I believe the losing streak is going to extend to five games, and then they'll beat Vanderbilt, and we'll see what happens at Arkansas and New Mexico State. But uh, I think you look at these basically toss-up games between Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Auburn, they've got to find a way to win one of those two to get bowl eligible. 
So we'll get their best effort. Now, what's their effort going to consist of? That's really the question. They really don't have much of an identity on offense. You know, you'd like to think, okay, we can throw the ball, run some tempo. I suspect we see more tempo this week just so they can kind of try something different. Because they have tried in recent weeks to kind of shorten the game, plays ball control, kind of what State did last week to Arkansas. It's like, hey, let's run the football. We'll keep the clock moving. Maybe we get 50 plays, they get 50 plays, and we'll make one more play than them and call it a win. The problem is they haven't really been able to control the tempo just by running the football methodically. I think you're going to see them run some tempo this week. I think State needs to be prepared for that because you've lost four in a row, and as Free set himself on Saturday night and on Monday, maybe perhaps that hadn't been the right approach. All right, scoring, they're scoring just under 27 points a game, allowing just under 24. And, of course, some of that is lopsided because of the fact that uh, you had some pretty you know, marginal, excuse me, large margins in victory against a non-conference opponent. 70, uh, excuse me, 124 first downs and allowed 123. Tough to dictate time of possession when that's the case. Uh, Auburn, as a team, has run for 1,302 yards. They're allowing 1,104. And you got to think one of the reasons that number is skewed, maybe the way that it is, is, again, those lopsided non-conference wins. You start trailing the game and you start chasing the numbers, you kind of got to get out of the the run-first offense. Passing, and this is where it gets really, really gross, especially if you're an Auburn fan. They're 98 of 165 with six interceptions for 1,057 yards. That's it, 1,057 yards. You talk about a one-dimensional offense, and I know Arnett tried to play it kind of politically correct on Monday, and I don't think it's a situation where they've just simply called a bunch of runs. I think with a couple mobile quarterbacks, they've had some passing situations turn into quarterback runs. And so maybe you call one thing and you have to do another. And part of that, too, is just Auburn just doesn't have the athleticism at wide receiver they normally have. You don't get separation. You can't protect. Quarterback has to try to make something out of nothing. That's kind of where they are. Uh, As a defense, they've allowed 1,498 yards. They have nine interceptions. That's the thing you start looking at, too, with that. You know, we got to be – we can't get loose and fast with the football and say, hey, we're going to go force Mike Wright throw the football. Because this Auburn secondary is good. As a matter of fact, it might be the most talented personnel group on the Auburn roster. Of course, former Bulldog uh, commitment DJ James at Auburn now after transferring from Oregon. All right, total offense, uh, they've scored 24 touchdowns. They've allowed 21. They've earned 2,359 yards. They've allowed 2,602. And that's an alarming number, again, considering the, you know, the lopsided wins against Sanford and against UMass. So that skews the numbers a great deal. Those are very, very productive games offensively for Auburn. But when they have played teams with comparable ability, they have really struggled to achieve first downs and put the ball in the end zone. Uh, looking at the, uh, the returns here, because I think special teams can play a significant role in this game, and we've got to be better in special teams than we were last week. And I think that's one of those things, too, with Mike Wright under center. I think everybody kind of maybe is elevated a little bit emotionally, thinking, hey, i got to play perfect, man. i got to make sure that I'm not a problem today. But uh, returns for them, they're averaging right at, right at 25, giving up right at 25. Uh, punt average returns for them is eight, allowing five and a half. I think Xavion will have an opportunity to make a play that could change the complexion of this ballgame. 
Things in question. Looking at kick, kicking, right? Actual kicks. Uh, punt average yards per game is 44.23. That's better than what we did at Arkansas. We've got to be better this week. Uh, net average for them is 40. Their opponent's 35. Field goal attempts, they're 6 of 6. And onside kicks, 0 for 1. That came last week. This Auburn team also is uh, – it's had some penalties, you know, maybe not a ton. They had some pre-snap penalties against Ole Miss. It kind of kept shooting them in the foot. But uh, averaging 44.14 penalty yards per game, opponents just over 52. We talk about running time of possession, kind of shortening games, and that's the game plan. They just haven't been able to finish the deal. But um, just under 29 minutes of possession and then opponents just over 31. Third down conversions have been a real issue for them. 29 of 89, that's just under 33%. Opponents, uh, you know, converting a little bit higher at 36%. Fourth down conversions are 7 of 15, and that's a, you know, freeze. He's not scared to go for it. Sometimes they'll run a third and medium play and put themselves in a position to run tempo and go get that first down for you on fourth down. But 7 of 15 on the year. Opponents are 6 of 14. Auburn has fumbled the football eight times and recovered four of them. Four of them have gotten away into the hands of opponents. Uh, on the other side of things, Auburn's opponents fumbled nine times, and they've coughed it up four times and, and given it up. Uh, Auburn has been sacked 16 times, and that's a pretty pretty big number considering the num- amount of dropbacks they have. And then Auburn defense defensively has gotten recorded 20 sacks. Now, they haven't missed a PAT. And in the red zone, they're 19 of 23 in scoring. It's just been the issue of getting down there. Uh, 15 of 23 touchdowns and then four field goals down there. So when they get in the red zone, they've been able to kind of put the ball in the end zone. That's an important aspect of this game too. All right, the running aspect of it, uh, Jarquez Hunter of uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, a former star at Neshoba Central, uh, 309 yards on the year, and that's with him missing the game. Uh, Peyton Thorne, the second leading rusher with 259 yards. Of course, Peyton, part of a two-quarterback system that involves Robbie Ashford. And then uh, Brian Beatty, 182 yards. Ashford, 180. And so your top two, two of your top four rushers are your quarterbacks. And so you're going to have to account for the quarterback run. They like to do some odd things with uh, the tight ends. They'll run some 13, 14 personnel, some 22 personnel, and kind of get some matchups that are favorable to the quarterback run. And then at times they'll slip out there and drop it off to a tight end. I mean, that's it, you know, again, it's a very pedestrian offense in many respects. That's not to say they're not capable of winning the ball game. They certainly are, especially if State goes out there and um, and turns football over. We can't help them. You know, we helped Arkansas last week kind of stay in the game with a couple silly penalties and some things that we missed on. Uh, but look at the, you know, the biggest issue with this Bulldog team, the personnel group we have been the most concerned about the entire offseason what's been your secondary, primarily your safeties. Now you're playing a team that really doesn't have the ability to exploit your most important weakness. And so the matchup sets up well for State in that respect. It'd be one thing, you know, if if you're playing an air raid offense, you're playing a team that's uh, got a pro-style quarterback that can really stretch the field. You just don't have this at Auburn. I think that's what they hope Peyton Thorne would be. It just hasn't been. Uh, Thorne is 80 of 130 with five interceptions on the year and five touchdowns. That is not a good ratio. 
Completion percentage of 61.54%, and that depth of target is not in any way threatening. Robbie Ashford's also played in seven games. He's 14 of 26. When he comes in the ballgame, you really expect him uh, to run the football more times than not. Also has a pick and two touchdowns, just 145 yards on the year. And I think if you're Auburn, you're thinking, hey, you know, we can get a lead in this game. Let's just try to salt it away. And Ashford had a really big game against Mississippi State last year. Basically, you know, running some quarterback power and running quarterback sweep off the right side. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how things go. Third-team quarterback uh, holding I – would, I would have to say that's – I'm going to mispronounce it. Because, you know, the time in Louisiana, anytime I see that vowel combination together, but I think it's Holden Garnier or – it's not Garnier because there's the I's not before the E. But anyway, he's appeared in three games in uh, kind of in mop-up uh, territory. Four of nine on the year. We don't expect him to be a real factor in the ball game. From a receiving standpoint, uh, Jay Fair has been uh, the primary receiver of note, 22 receptions for 241 yards, uh, a couple touchdowns. He's averaging 34 yards per game. Rivaldo Fairweather, 21 grabs for 184 yards, also a couple touchdowns. Uh, Jarquez Hunter has been a nice receiver for them out of the backfield. They probably don't utilize that enough. Of course, he had a big uh, catch against Ole Miss last week, kind of a catch-and-run deal for 47 yards. Guys, that is all but 18 yards of his receiving yards this year. That's pretty crazy to think about, isn't it? Uh, just seven touchdown passes thrown this year. And, again, this is not a team that can go out there with you know, four and five wides and really kind of stress the secondary because they really, they really struggled when it comes to pass protection. Now, defensively, they got some dudes here, and it's led by Eugene Asante. He was in, uh, you know, in the player availability this week, 52 tackles for him, and he looks like what you want an SEC linebacker to look like. Uh, three and a half sacks on the year, three quarterback hurries, a fumble recovery, also has a pass breakup. Larry Nixon the third, 37 tackles for them. Uh, you know, he's a senior linebacker, and that's probably, you know, one of the strengths. We talk about how good the secondary is. These Auburn linebackers are legit. That's going to be a factor in the running game. And Nixon, of course, 37 tackles. Marcus Harris, arguably their best defensive lineman. 29 tackles on the year, four sacks, a pass breakup, a forced fumble. Uh, Jaywin Simpson has been probably the best pass defender with four interceptions and a couple pass breakups. They also like to bring him in part of their blitz package. Uh, 20 tackles on the year. DJ James, a former Bulldog commitment, 21 tackles for him, a couple interceptions. And again, this is a secondary that's very opportunistic. And we have got to be careful with that. We've got to be very measured in what we do. If you start throwing balls up for grabs, uh, Auburn's got some talent in that secondary that uh, can make a difference. Keontae Scott returned after a short uh, bout with injury. He's missed three games on the year. Came back and played uh, against Ole Miss. Just four games on the year, but uh, 15 tackles. And another dude in that secondary. You know, really, it's the strength of their team. You start thinking about, okay, they're so good in the secondary, and we're a team that's going to really struggle to pass it, you know, with right. And we got to be very opportunistic with that. And, and as a guy that has actually been to practice, I know a lot of people have strong opinions that uh, have never been to practice. When Mike Wright misses, more times than not, he misses high. That's kind of like having a fastball pitcher. You don't want to miss high. When you miss, you want to miss low. And you saw that some against Arkansas. 
you know, you had the ball where we, we get outside, we've got the quarterback roll out left, Justin Robinson is wide open, we miss high. They also had a situation where Landon Jackson uh, drops into pass coverage, and uh, we never saw him, and we were a little bit uh, chancy with the football. If you take those chances against Auburn, they are going to make you pay for it. Don't let the 3-4 and four record fool you. This Auburn secondary is good enough to match up with just about anybody in the conference. They struggled against LSU, but LSU's at a different level right now offensively. I think we can all agree with that. But really, what State has to do is to be able to run the football and then work this intermediate passing game. Uh, yeah, you got to take a shot every once in a while. But it's got to be something where maybe you're in max protect. Maybe it's a one-to-two receiver route. Maybe it's a high-low concept where you roll Mike out to the right, and if the deep throw isn't there, you take it underneath. And if that's not there, you run it. But we were very conservative last week, and I don't think we really can really afford to be this week. But I don't think this is a game you look at and say, this is going to be an offensive shootout. I don't think either team at this point, based on the quality of quarterback play, uh, you'd look at it and say, hey, this is good. This looks like a 50-point game, right? Because last time we went over there, you know, that was the biggest comeback in school history. Also had Will Rogers under center. Now, about Will, I am told he has practiced a lot more this week. Is there a chance he plays this week? I wouldn't totally rule it out, but I'm not expecting it. I think it's the Mike Ride show. And it's the thing that I begin to think about when you navigate the totality of the season. In the event, let's say Will Rogers comes back for Kentucky. Number one, I think people have seen enough now to understand that we're somewhat limited with either quarterback in some respects, right? But if you're able to go 2-0 and on the road in the Southeastern Conference with Will Rogers out, I think you feel really good about where you stand down the stretch as you get in the month of November. We knew we had a difficult September in front of us, and we knew October was going to be a month we had to go undefeated or felt like we had to at least get two of three, but we really need to go undefeated. And that's what happens when you win the first two. You think, hey, we got to get the third one. But if you're able to navigate this month and allow the Rodgers to get healthy, I think it sets you up well down the stretch. And, again, the offense, people are like, oh, the offense has been so bad all year. No, it really hadn't. And I really feel like we were beginning to find some strides when Will went down against Western Michigan. I mean, the offense wasn't the issue against Western Michigan. We had some defensive lapses in the secondary uh, that was really an issue. And, again, you start thinking, all right, well, you know, Arkansas last week, uh, you know, struggled to take shots down the field. I, I give some of that to our ability to get better, but also their own ineptitude. And I think when you look at this Auburn offense, I think it's kind of the same thing. I think they'll probably have to run some gadget plays and some trick plays, and you know how Hugh Freeze is. I mean, that's you know, whatever it takes to get it up, right? They tried the big trick play last week, the double pass against um, against Ole Miss, and it got blown up. You know, so uh, I don't rule out gadget plays from either team in this one. Yeah, because you got to do something to give your team some juice, right? So don't be surprised if you don't see State cook up some wrinkles. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to run a fake punt or anything like that. But I suspect that you're going to see some pretty crazy things in this ballgame as both teams are desperate for a win. And you can't just keep going up there running the zone read over and over and over again and, and, okay, we finally broke it here. You know, at some point you've got to do some things to hold the other team accountable to make them nervous. I think for State what we have to do is we have to put this very good linebacker group from Auburn into conflict. You've got to make them start easing up and kind of playing the run. And I think that will open up some crossing routes behind the backers and in front of the safeties. 
I don't think you're going to see Mike Wright just take shots down the field. I think it's the intermediate passing game. And I think, you know, you just kind of want to methodically move things down the field. And I think eventually, you know, Mike's such a good athlete. And you saw last week, Mike had two potential touchdowns, right? And, uh, you know, every play you design it should be to get a touchdown. But, uh, but you understand my point. You had the one that's called back on the crackback. There was another one that you know, Mike's loose and they reach up and grab a, t- a towel that prevents him from getting loose. I think now that he's kind of got his legs on him a little bit, he's had the full benefit of taking the rep for the ones now for basically three weeks, I think you're going to see a better offensive production. Not some big explosion, but I think you're going to see a better job this week than you saw last week. I think Mike's more comfortable, and I think we kind of figure out what Mike does well a little more. Uh, but, again, we've said it all year, and this is not a situation where, I, you know, it's I told you so. But there were a lot of people out there that um, – and I hate to say it this way, but I'll just say it for what it is. It's like some people are so bitter and so hateful about Will Rogers, we don't we don't think things through, right? And so it's like, oh, you know, we need to let Mike start. Hey, I was all about letting Mike have a full series. And a lot of that, too, was because I think we need both quarterbacks to really hold defenses accountable. And maybe the packages are, are completely different based on the skill set. But some people are like, oh, no, we got to be Mike Wright. And, guys, I love Mike Wright to death. I do. The guy's hilarious. Love having a chance to sit and talk with him. He's fun to watch, but he's not a great passer. And that's not being critical. That's just kind of calling it for what it is. And so he makes you somewhat limited. The same thing for Will Rogers. Will is a guy that can, hey, Will can make this but all throws, but Will's not a real challenge as a runner. And so you don't really have a true dual threat no matter which quarterback you put under center. So what we need this year to kind of navigate this and find a way to reach some reasonable expectations is we're going to need both quarterbacks. And so hopefully Mike can go out this week and get you a win and get out of the game healthy and perhaps Will is ready to go full-time next week. We'll see. And it's all going to be about how he responds. And I can tell you this, being around with Rodgers for what feels like a decade now, Will Rogers wants to play. Will Rogers wants to go help this team win football games. Uh, Will Rogers is a guy that, uh, despite his many critics, loves Mississippi State. And I can tell you it is absolutely killing Will Rogers not to be out there with his guys. And I think Mike Wright, Mike Wright is made better by the option of Will Rogers, whether that be we run a two-quarterback system or whatever. Uh, I do think we've underutilized Mike, but I think now that, that now we're in a situation where really all we have is Mike, uh, from an experience standpoint, I think you look at this and you begin to realize that uh, sometimes you got to be uh, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? Uh, we talk about special teams. We'll get ready to move on for here. Oscar Chapman, uh, 35 punts on the year, averaging 44.23. We touched on that. Got a long of 71, four touchbacks, 14 fair catches, and 11 inside the 20, nine punts of 50 yards or more. So basically – not as great as last week, but very similar. They've got a punter that can get them out of some trouble and flip the field. Alex McPherson, the younger brother of Evan McPherson, former Mississippi State commitment and Florida kicker, six for six on the year, and uh, one of those 53 yards. Kickoffs, McPherson obviously is a guy that uh, has the ability to have the big leg. That said, only about half of his kickoffs are carrying into the end zone. Now, we hope Auburn only kicks off one or two times. But 36 kickoffs on the year, and only 17 of them are touchbacks. 
So 19 of those, excuse me, 18 of those have been returnable. One of them went out of bounds. So you got a 50-50 chance of Tulu having a chance to return one. Now, does that mean that we can set one up and he can break it? I don't know. But I do know this. I do know that Alex McPherson is a guy that is not consistently going to put the ball in the end zone. And, of course, the guy's still young and developing. But in games like this, when special teams matter, kick returns and punt returns truly matter. And any time that Tulu Griffin gets a chance, you know how it is. The hair on the back of your neck stands up. You just never know from one, one moment to the next when he's going to take one back. And maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to take one back. How cool would that be? What if we win the toss and uh, or we end up on offense first and opening kickoff, Tulu takes it back? I think one of the most important things for State in this game, a great start. Not a good start, a great start. I think if, if we get down a score in the first quarter, kind of like last week, I think we're okay. We get down two and have to start chasing the game and start asking Mike to do some things that he's not quite as comfortable doing, I think we're going to be in trouble. But if State can get off to a great start, let's say State is up a score, or maybe even two scores after the first quarter, I think that Auburn crowd is going to turn. I think the home field advantage can be greatly negated if we see some malaise from them offensively and State's able to get some things going, especially after we only scored seven points last week. You go out and put up 10 or 14 points in that first quarter, people are going to be like, I can't believe this team only scored seven against Arkansas. That's what everybody's going to be saying to each other in those stands. And then next thing you know, Peyton Thorne throws a pick or whatever, you have a bad play, and, and then State gets the ball back. I mean, it, it could be a situation where playing on the road uh, could be a, a good thing for State. You'd always love to play at home, but I think when you have a four-game losing streak with a very, very proud fan base – that many of these people are already on the fence about just moving on to basketball. This could be a situation where the script kind of flips. Now, there, of course, Auburn's got a great fan base, don't get me wrong. But I think you understand what I'm saying here is that they could have a lot less support come halftime of that ball game than they do at the opening kickoff. Our time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Uh, Blair is a mortgage professional. He's recently made the move to Priority One Mortgage. That's what happens for people like Blair. It's like a free agent, right? It's like you're, you're trying to make the uh, the big playoff push. You go out there and you go get the, the salty veteran that can come in there and help you get to the promised land. Well, that's what Blair can do for you too. He gets you to the closing table. Give them a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Visit him at the website, Close with Blair. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Blair is the guy that can get things done. And uh, make sure you mention to him kind of what your situation is. You heard about him on the boneyard, and you know what? Might get a little extra special treatment there. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's a professional, but he's also a bulldog. He's a member of our family. Multiple sport season ticket holder has a place here in Starkville. Uh, Blair's an outstanding friend of mine, and uh, I wouldn't do business with people that I didn't didn't love and respect. And uh, that's really what you get with Blair. Again, guy with the know-how to get things taken care of for you. All right, today's top ten list in honor of uh, of Hugh Freeze. Roy did the list, so if the the list is not good, um. It's going to be Roy's fault. 
yeah, he just texted me to make sure I didn't make any changes to his list. All right, so here we are. Uh, Hugh Freeze was quoted earlier this year that said Eric Church was his favorite artist. And because uh, we are always looking for fresh ideas, and we've done Eric Church before, and listen, I want to make sure that um, we do it the right way. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think uh, I know. I think I know how Roy wants to do this. So if, if the order is wrong, you can blame me. But um, he decided to do Eric Church collaborations, right? Rather than just Eric songs, we, we've done Eric before. So number ten is a song that I love, and we've talked about it on the show before. It's I Like It Heavy from Hailstorm featuring Eric Church. Yeah, how about that? We get Lizzie Hale on an Eric Church list. Let's go. Uh, I love the lyrics of this song. I think Lizzie Hale, in many respects, uh, kind of grew up the way that I did. You know, like she said, uh, since I was 13 years old, I've had my fist to the sky. I like it heavy. Love it. Love the lyrics to that song. It's a song that celebrates rock and roll. And here we have Eric Church. All right, number nine is When I See This Bar. From Kenny Chesney, also featuring Eric Church. I like Kenny Chesney, too. And Kenny Chesney, also a college football fan. I mean, you got to be excited about that. But um, you know, Kenny Chesney's, of course, the good stuff and all that. I, I didn't like the, you know, you had me at hello, because I knew it was a ripoff of Jerry Maguire. I think we all knew it. He admitted as much. I just didn't like it. It made the whole thing hokey. Are you ready for the country from Hank Williams Jr. featuring Eric Church? That's your number eight song on today's top ten list. We went with the live version of this other one, and uh, anytime we can get George Strait on a country list, it's a good thing. Cowboys Like Us, George Strait featuring Eric Church. And uh, listen, we all watch Yellowstone. I know everybody wants to be a cowboy. And I think, if nothing else, the uh, Yellowstone franchise, I think, has uh, proven that we got a lot of guys out here that are all hat and no cattle. And you see how those guys really live and what they put up with and how hard they have to work. They're real cowboys and uh, not the guys with the bedazzled jeans and uh, – you know, whatever, whatever hats. I mean, listen, you, you wear what you want to wear, but don't call yourself a cowboy if you're not. All right, uh, let's see here. That's number seven. Number six, The Only Way I Know, from Jason Aldean, Luke Bryan, Eric Church. Uh, some big names in country music there. Number five, Bob One of 44, Eric Church and Ashley McBride. I don't know that I know this song, but uh, we went with the live version here, Bob One of 44. That's about as uh, southern as it gets right there. All right, number four, You, Me, and the River with Eric Church. Chris Jansen, uh, that's his song, but Eric Church is featured on there. It reminds me of growing up in South Mississippi. Think about you, your dad, your friends, your girlfriend, whoever. Most of us in the South spend some time floating the Bogachetta, you know, canoeing the Ten Mile Creek, Flint Creek, so many great places all around our great state. All right, number three, Does to Me featuring Eric Church from Luke Combs. We've had uh, Luke Combs before. It's not my thing, guys. I mean, it's, it's nothing against these guys. It's just not my thing. But Roy has that number three. Roy is a guy that we, we talk about how wide-ranging my musical interests are. I don't know who Roy dated that ushered all this country music into his life. Maybe it's Missy. I don't know. His wife, Missy. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, it's clear to me that there's somebody along the way that has kind of like pushed this country music influence into Roy's life. And so 
I'll give him the opportunity. Like he'll talk about Iron Maiden with me, and or you know, '83, '84, and then the next thing I know, he comes up with this. Maybe he's better than me. I don't know. Uh, mixed drinks about feelings. What a clever title. Eric Church and Susan Tedeschi. Maybe I said that wrong. Mixed drinks about feelings. And number one, it's the Morgan Wallen uh, track, Man Made a Bar, featuring Eric Church. That's your number one Eric Church collab this week. So we're in the books, and all you country music fans that always say, Steve, all you ever do is talk about rock and roll. Take a break, because there you go. Hope you enjoy Roy's list. Again, I can't vouch for the authenticity or the accuracy of the list. It is Roy's list, and from time to time we give him the ability to do that. It's the least we can do since we don't pay him. Roy's just a fan of the show. Roy's just a friend of mine. Guy that enjoys the, the, the top ten. And he's the one that contacted me and said, you know what, I would be happy to do this for you to make it easier for people. And I've had so many people. When I'm out traveling, I'll be at a ball game or whatever, and people, Steve, I love the show. I love the top ten list. And I'm appreciative that Roy puts these things on Spotify because I enjoy being able to go back and listen to them after the show. And so for those of you that aren't music folks, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, we're going to continue to do the top ten list. And it's so crazy to think about. We've been doing this now since the beginning of COVID, which seems like forever ago in many respects, and yesterday at the same time. But if you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. We might just use it. The best way to do that is to find Roy on Twitter. He's really on all forms of social media, but the best bet is find him on Twitter. At Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And he's also on Spotify under that same handle, right? He even uses our uh, our Boneyard logo as uh, his profile picture. I think that's right. It is. It is. How about that? Makes it easy for you to find it. Uh, I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. You got ideas, comments, complaints, dirty jokes, whatever, send them my way. Let me send you back some hair care tips. You never know. But uh, thanks for your support of the Boneyard and the Top Ten list. And uh, we look forward uh, to being back with you on Monday with another one. Hopefully it is a triumphant one. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too if you don't already. Next time you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces. Neatly positioned on the backside of campus, turn off 182 at the Trooper Station. Take that left and follow it on around, and right there on the left, just before you get to campus, is Campus Bookmark. The best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in a known universe. If you're looking for anything for Christmas, for the Bulldog fans in your life, look no further than Campus Bookmark. Everybody will have a Merry Christmas if you do. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. All right, we met with Coach Simonis on uh, Tuesday, and he told us the schedule was uh, schedule release was imminent and said it could be any day. He said, hey, it could even be today. Turns out it was Wednesday. Uh, the non-conference schedule finally released. There was a bit of a hang-up with one of the pro parks we're playing in. That's been worked out. Everything's good to go now. So now you know the Bulldogs will open the season on Friday, February 16th, around Valentine's Day is when we always do it. What a bet- better – not a better way to treat your sweetie than to come 
to the Noble Field for Valentine's Day weekend. We're going to open up with Air Force. Three-game uh, series with them. Uh, we have played them before. Uh, not a great year last year for the Falcons. They went 28-31, and 31, but 17-13 and 13 in their conference. Of course, Paul Skeens wasn't with them anymore. But uh, a losing record last year should be a good weekend for us to open with a series win. We get Austin P in the midweek on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. That should always be games that we should handle. The next weekend, the Fighting Jared Bankos of Georgia Southern will make their way to Mississippi State for the first time ever. We did play them in the 1990 College World Series. Of course, uh, we can thank Georgia Southern for uh, Ron Polk. He, uh, he, he led the Eagles to uh, back-to-back regional appearances here at Mississippi State. Now, a couple years ago, 2022, Georgia Southern was a regional host. Last year, they went 27 and 29, 17 of 13 in their conference, but um, you know, kind of a beefy non-conference schedule for them. They got West Virginia the first weekend, Power Five opponent. They took two out of three. They lose Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech in a the midweek. They end up going to UCF, which has been a really good program in recent years in baseball. The Eagles take two of three there. They lose to Georgia in a pair of midweek games. They get Rutgers and get swept. Another Power 5 opponent, not that Rutgers is some big uh, powerhouse by any stretch. They also played at Southern Miss, lose two out of three there, and then they go to Georgia and beat Georgia in a midweek game uh, 12-2. Lose Georgia Tech in a midweek game, and then uh, next thing you know, they're in the Sun Belt play. But, uh, again, a losing year for the Eagles last year. Uh, the Mount, right, Mount St. Mary's of Maryland, we'll see those guys the next weekend after we play Jackson State. That series is going to go Thursday, Friday, Saturday because we do have the midweek game at Southern Miss. Uh, but Mount St. Mary's, we played those that program a couple times before too. 25-27 and 27 last year, ended the year on a three-game losing streak, a losing record in conference 10-4. and four. Uh, and, again, not a great schedule last year, but they did take on Wake Forest a couple times. Those games did get away from them. Wake, of course, uh, one of the best teams in the country last year. They lose 18-2 and 15-1. to They uh, play Pitt down in Dalen, Florida, and a little bit of a uh, showcase down there. They split a couple of games with the Panthers and then uh, dropped two to Stetson uh, as part of a four-game weekend down there. Uh, but outside of that, there's just there's not a lot of baseball. You look here and say, okay, well these are you know great baseball programs. They did travel to Virginia and lose there 16 to four in Charlottesville. But uh, by and large, they just kind of played their teams, you know, in in their conference and uh, did not do well in the non-conference against Power Five opponents. The Evansville Aces will be on the Bulldogs' schedule to close out the non-conference part of our schedule. Again, we, we do play Southern Miss in the non-conference midweek down in, in Pearl on March 5th. And then we'll get the Aces in Stark Vegas the uh, weekend March 8th through the 10th. And uh, so we'll see the Aces for the first time in program history. They, of the non-conference weekend opponents for us, the only team to have a winning record last year, and they nearly made the NCAA tournament. 37 and 24 overall, 15 and 12 in conference, and had a very good record home and a decent one away. Just 16 and 13 on the road, and four and two on a neutral field. 
They opened the year last year by getting swept at Troy. Then they get beat 6-3 by Kentucky. And you begin to roll along here. They did take on Vanderbilt. They take Vanderbilt 17 innings last year in a midweek affair on Wednesday. And they ultimately lose the game 2-1. Many of you kept up with that last year. Uh, They did host Purdue and uh, supposed to be a uh, three-game set. Ends up just being two. They take both from the Boilermakers. That's a nice win. Uh, They do have to play play Purdue in a uh, midweek game to kind of make up the game they lost. They take that one too. So say what you want to about the Boilermakers. Had a difficult year last year, which is one of the reasons Cal Stevens got into the portal and is now a Mississippi State Bulldog. Uh, They get in a conference play, and uh, the big series with Indiana State took place in Evansville, Indiana. They lose two out of three and then fight their way back to the Missouri Valley Conference title game. They wild affair up here. They they take down Southern Illinois. They beat Murray State, so they're in a great position. Indiana State gets them 10-1. They come out of loser's bracket, beat Missouri State, and then beat Indiana State to force a winner-take-all final in the MVC tournament. And Indiana State, the number one seed in the tournament, wins 6-0. And, of course, um, the Sycamores move on to the tournament. And so one win away from making a tournament, and that's the, uh, you know, the only winning team of the non-conference weekend opponents. And then we'll turn around in the middle. We'll go back to Biloxi, and that has become a regular trip for Mississippi State. I, I'm glad. I like going down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I do. It's a lot of fun down there. And you guys do such a great job of packing that park out. I think we've sold it out every single time we've gone down there. I think that's the case. I know, we, I know last year we had a ball down in Biloxi and uh, played what you all Lafayette and uh, maybe Southeastern, I can't recall. But this year we're going to play South Alabama and then UNO. We'll get the, the Jags of South Alabama on Tuesday, March 12th, and turn back around on Wednesday and play the Privateers of UNO. And then we'll come home, and we'll get ready to play LSU. Uh, you, you're well acquainted with these SEC opponents. We won't spend a lot of time with that. But uh, uh, the midweek game after LSU, before we go to A&M, will be Memphis in Starkville. You remember last year's game got canceled due to weather. Logan Kohler hits a home run in that game. Glad he's on our side. After that, we'll hit the road to Texas A&M. And then the midweek game, this is a pretty extensive uh, road stretch here for State. Seven games away from Duty Noble Field. Road trip, three at A&M. And then we'll go to Samford. And, uh, you know, we're going to pack it out, but that's not saying a whole lot. Every time we go play at Samford, it's been standing room only. I'm not sure if this game is going to be at the Hoover Met. You know, we played there – a few years back and set an attendance record at Samford. And it was like going to a high school game, all due respect to Samford. But it wasn't good. And uh, we had to come from behind Rowdy Jordan with the big hit there to give State the win late. And then two years ago, we played them at the Hoover Mad and they hit a couple grand slams and beat us. So that was really kind of the death knell for, for a really difficult season for us. We'll come back, pack a bag, and we'll head to Gainesville, Florida. So three games down there. It's going to be a difficult start for the Bulldogs, for sure. LSU at home and then back-to-back road trips. We'll get Central Arkansas in the midweek before Georgia comes to town, and then UAB the following week before we head to Oxford for a three-game set there. Huge series there. State's dominated uh, the rivalry as of late. We need that to continue. We've had a lot of great success uh, playing in Oxford in recent years. 
Alcorn State is your Tuesday opponent prior to Super Bulldog Weekend. Your Super Bulldog Weekend opponent is Auburn. Bringing John Cohen and Butch Thompson back for Super Bulldog Weekend. And that'll be a fun time to get everybody on campus. Uh, the midweek opponent that next week is we go to Memphis in advance of a road trip to Vanderbilt. The front half of the schedule is absolutely loaded, especially with road trips. So Vanderbilt, big. You go to Think about that. You go to A&M, you go to Florida, you go to Ole Miss, you go to Vanderbilt. We're going to have to have uh, our road legs under us for sure. Uh, your governor's game will be May 1st at Pearl at Trustmark Park. And then we come home that week to play Alabama, and State has dominated that series in recent years as well. We'll head to Arkansas the following weekend. No midweek game that week, probably a good thing. We're going to need all arms on deck to deal with our Arkansas team that I think is the best team in the Southeastern Conference right now. I think heading into spring practice, and of course Arkansas could have some injuries, and you never wish that on anybody. And it seems like every year Arkansas has lost a pitcher. Um you know, in spring practice. But, uh, again, you don't wish that on anybody. So it's a tough trip. Anytime you go to bomb Walker Stadium, you know what you're going to get. Uh, it's going to be a great baseball team and a great baseball environment with a tr- tremendous home field advantage. Hopefully we have uh, the mental fortitude to go up there and get a dub. After that, we'll play our final non-conference game of the regular season when North Alabama comes to town. That game also canceled last year due to weather. And then Missouri, who has had the better of the Bulldogs uh, two of the last three years. You remember in 2021, State had a chance to win the Southeastern Conference. Needed some things to go right. We just needed to handle business against Missouri. We didn't. And we lose two out of three. And a lot of people jumped off the bandwagon and said, you know what, this team's not going anywhere. We're going to be lucky to host. We lose the series to Missouri and, of course, get uh, 10-run ruled twice in Hoover and ended up winning the national championship. Well, we go there in 2022, just kind of moving along there. We'd gotten behind things. We had some injuries. We're just kind of rolling along here. We needed to go take two out of three from Missouri. We destroyed them on Friday. They get us on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we get walked off. And so back-to-back years, the Tigers take the series. And, of course, uh, Carrick Jackson, now the head coach, in place of uh, Steve Beezer at Mizzou. Uh, they take a, make a coaching change. So that's your baseball schedule. And uh, the thing that I would say about this schedule is I, I think it's a good schedule for us. A lot of people are saying, I can't believe we've got such a weak non-conference. I don't care about that. You know, our RPI will be good enough based on our conference play. We need to stack wins. People are like, well, Steve, we're not, on, we're not in a big traveling tournament this year. Great Great. You know, we went to Fort Worth last year and uh, went to the Frisco Classic and, uh, you know, kind of had some struggles then. You know, we did. And, it, oh, we, well, Steve, we don't have Arizona State coming in. No, we don't. We don't have Long Beach State coming in. We have four very winnable weekends to open the first month of college baseball season, and we need every win we can get. I would have scheduled exactly the same way. Maybe the names are different, but I would not want to go on the road. And as Lamonis points out, too, we probably go on the road in our conference more than anybody in the SEC. I mean, you play the game with Ole Miss, the governor's game. You play Southern Miss. You go down to Biloxi. You start stacking these things up. Most teams play those games at home. And they certainly don't play another conference opponent. I mean, outside of Florida, Florida State – uh, you know, even though it's not a conference game, but you understand, I mean, that, that's a rivalry game that gets played in midweek 
I don't know that anybody has as tough a midweek schedule sometimes as State does. So it's it's smart to work in North Alabama. We can always cancel that game if we need too late for RPI purposes. I mean, that, that's not unheard of, right? But we need to stack wins, and we need to identify pitching roles. And so you get some guys that come in here that are decent teams, not good teams. Of course, you know, we had Eastern Kentucky come in here a couple years ago and give us all we wanted. They were terrible. And so you can't take anything for granted. And a lot of people are saying, oh, we're going to sweep through this. Guys, if we sweep through that first month of the season undefeated, uh, then some special things are in store. Baseball is a funny game. It is. But we should have a very, very good month of March and certainly in February. Uh, but when we get ready to bring the Tigers to town from LSU, the defending NFL champions, who we beat last year, two out of three. And uh, I, I bring that up, too. There, there's so many people that are critical of Chris Simonis, and there's plenty of ammunition, right? Let's just call it for what it is. But we managed things pretty well down the stretch. We did. Uh, I don't know that I pitched to that kid from A&M again. That's just me. You know, I think you had the game won there. I, I wouldn't pitch to him. That's just, that's just me. Wouldn't pitch to him. But we throw off against Skeens. We throw Evan Sierra and we save Cade Smith. And what do we know? We take the series and took an incredible comeback on Sunday to get it done. But we did. We knew that LSU bullpen was suspect. Made them exert some arms on Saturday. And by the time we got into Sunday, we are able to expose them. And then lo and behold, they have some guys really pop up in the postseason and help carry them to a NFL championship. So a big series win for the Bulldogs. And you got to know coming in here, even though it's a much different LSU team, I mean, Tommy White's still there. But by and large, it's a different team. But uh, pitching-wise, they're going to be a really good team, or should be. They've lost almost all the pitching from a year ago. But they went into the portal, provided those guys can stay healthy and come in and produce at a similar level. LSU's going to be LSU. Now, of course, Wes Johnson's gone to move to Georgia. But before we get all those teams in, before we get in a conference play, we have got to get this team to have a sense of itself and know what our roles are pitching-wise. We can't go into this situation with LSU and get in a conference play and be just kind of figuring these things out as we go. And that's how it's felt the last couple of years. I mean, people forget, you know, like last year. You know, you lose Kate Smith for a while the opening weekend. Do you remember that? You know, Kate, Kate Smith was expected to be our dude, right? And then, you know, we lose him. We lose KC again for a little while. You know, and so you kind of dig yourselves in a hole here. You're kind of right out of the gate. I guess uh, I guess it was Arizona State week two we lost Kate Smith. But uh, you understand my point. It's like, and you go back to that opening weekend against VMI, do you remember how many runs were scored in that, especially in that second game? We went 11-2 and we went 9-3. That middle game, we lose 14-13. Do you remember how that felt? It's because we didn't have any pitching. And that's the game we get up 8-1. 8-1. And ultimately lose the game. And so we've got to be able to get through this thing and have some depth. And we think Evan Sierra is really coming on. We think uh, Forsyth's a kid that's really coming on. You know what you've got with Nate. And a lot of people talking big about Colby Holcomb, even in pro baseball circles. And so I would have scheduled light too. I don't think we gain anything by losing a uh, weekend series in February or March to a Power 5 opponent. I mean, you look around our league, there are a lot of – this is how teams schedule. And uh, – 
since Lamonis has been here, we have been very ambitious in non-conferencing scheduling, and we have been. And I, I think it's one of those deals, too, where this year, considering the gravity of the year, the fact that we certainly you know, could be making a coaching change here uh, in postseason, you've got to give your team a chance to earn some confidence. You've got to give your team a chance to develop some chemistry and some cohesion. That's a huge aspect of this. You've got to be able to stack wins and get these kids to play and pitch with an edge. Uh, everybody will tell you Justin Parker has come in and done a tremendous job. Anybody you talk to, whether it be baseball parents, whether it be Chris Simonis himself, whether it be the pitchers, everybody involved will tell you that Justin Parker has made a tremendous difference to this baseball program. So let's give him a month to kind of work against real competition. You know, with rare exception, you know, we played the four, uh, you know, scrimmage games. We played, we split with Louisiana Tech. We took two from UAB. Uh, we pitched it pretty well. You know, we had um, a little bit of an issue at Tech, you know, with a couple guys. But this is about figuring out who we can trust before we get into SEC play. You know, we didn't do much with Carson Ligon this fall. And, uh, you know, he had some shoulder soreness last year. We don't want to gas him up and then put him in a situation where he's not available. So we're managing things the right way. And, again, I'm excited about um, excited about what is to come uh, for Mississippi State baseball. Before we get into our final segment of the show, let's take a quick look as we uh, preview the Southeastern Conference, kind of a uh, you know limited schedule this week, as you guys are aware. And, again, I want, I want to spend some time talking recruiting with you. But uh, let's take a quick look at the SEC and kind of see what we should expect. What's our rooting interest? Uh, South Carolina's at A&M. I don't have any confidence in South Carolina to go on the road and win a game. And, again, that loss to, to South Carolina by Mississippi State, you lose that game 37-30. And, again, it, you know, it's, it's one play here or there, right? It just haunts us. Because right now, if, if you begin to think about if State is 5-2 and two, headed to Auburn, not only is State favored, I think the expectation around the conference is State's going to go in there and win the game and probably win it handily. Of course, we didn't have the luxury of knowing that uh, Will Rogers would go down for a while. But this is not a good South Carolina team. As we broke it down earlier this week, they're going to have a tough time making a bowl game. I mean, it's possible, but it's going to be tough. And a lot of it's because they were too ambitious in a non-conference scheduling. You had North Carolina when you already play in Clemson. I know that probably makes you some money. But uh, when you were a team that was probably ahead of schedule and you went out and signed all these guys in the portal and, you know, everybody's like, oh, South Carolina's going to do this, going to do that, it's going to be tough. This A&M team hadn't been great either. Hadn't been great, but you, you look at the losses and it makes, you know, they lose at Miami. Okay. They lose to Alabama. Okay. Right? You start working through this. You know, you begin to kind of realize this A&M team may be better than their record indicates, and I think they prove it this week. I think A&M wins this game. I think they cover. I don't think it's a competitive game in the second half. That's not to say that it's a blowout, but I don't think South Carolina will be in striking distance by the time they get to the fourth quarter. Georgia at Florida. You know, this is one of those crazy ones, too. Georgia, for a while, dominated the series. Um but not after Florida. I mean, Florida just so intimidated Mark Rick's Bulldog teams. You know, that you had the big dancing thing, the penalty when they scored them, and everybody rushes the field, and everybody gets flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct, and Rick was trying to send a message. But things have flipped with Kirby. A couple of years ago, Florida wins in Jacksonville. 
I think Georgia wins this game, but I do think Florida probably covers. I think last time I looked, Georgia was more than a two-touchdown favorite in the game. I think Florida matches up enough athletically and the fact that Georgia has not been nearly as dominant as expected that it's a game. It may not be a game in the final possession. It may not go down to the final play, but I do think it's a competitive game into the second half. I do like Georgia to win. I won't be surprised if Florida covers and makes this a little more of an adventure. But in the end, I think the, the better coach staff is going to win this ballgame. Mississippi State at Auburn, I've told you guys I like State to win a close one here. I picked it 17-13. I think special teams matters. I think uh, turnovers are going to matter significantly when every possession matters. And it's like you look back last week and you look at 7-3 and you look at the offensive ineptitude. You guys, weren't you hanging on every single play? I, it was an exciting game in that respect. It wasn't a well-executed game, but it was exciting. It goes down to the final play and it's a Hail Mary pass and we batted down which is kind of apropos considering how well the secondary played on the day. Uh, Auburn doesn't have the talent at quarterback that Arkansas does. And I don't know that they have the talent that Arkansas does at the wide receiver positions. I know some guys have transferred in there and they had high expectations for them, but they have struggled to get open. And uh, by his own admission, Hugh Freeze has said that really every component of the passing game has been a challenge. They haven't been able to get open, they haven't been able to protect, and they haven't been able to complete the pass. We can't help them in that respect. If we can avoid a bust in this ballgame, I think it gives State a really great opportunity. You can't give up the chunk play here. This is an Auburn offense that if you give them enough time, will make a mistake and give you the football back. And I think Peyton Thorne wants to give us football. I really do. So State in a close one. Tennessee at Kentucky. Listen, Kentucky is a really good home team. I wouldn't say a great home team. They're a really good home team. We know from experience in recent years from going up there, they've been able to kind of shorten the game on us. But they're 5-2 and two, and 2-2 two and two in the SEC, and nobody's really talking about them. I think a lot of it's because, you know, everybody was so excited about Florida, and then it's Brandon Walker tweets out, we do this every year with Kentucky, every year. This is the year, this is the year. They got absolutely destroyed by Georgia. And then they get beat up really good by Missouri last week. Now they're at home. Uh, and they were home again last week. But um, I think Tennessee, just too much offensive skill. And if Joe Milton doesn't go up there and just give them the football game, I think Tennessee wins this game. I think Tennessee covers. And then, then you begin to think about what does this uh, Kentucky team look like coming into Mississippi State with a three-game losing streak, especially if State wins. If we're on a three-game winning streak and they're coming in with a three-game losing streak – and maybe it's a return to Will Rogers. You know, we'll see. But I know this. I know we need you here. It's a night game. Need you to be here. Come spend a weekend with us. Come spend the night. Vanderbilt's at Ole Miss. I would love to see, you know, the Bowtie Bowl go the way of the Commodores. But I just don't see how anybody with any objectivity could pick Vanderbilt to win this game. Oh, listen, Ole Miss is a good team. Are they as good as their record indicates? No, they're not. But – they're not going to have any trouble with Vanderbilt, especially at home. Yeah, you know, I think if you're Ole Miss, you almost have to treat it like a non-conference game, right? You want to get some other guys, young guys some playing time and get out of there without getting beat up. Listen, Ole Miss 6-1, and one, and everybody still thinks about that loud win against you know, Mercer in week one. Uh, they get by Tulane when Tulane didn't get to play their starting quarterback. And Georgia Tech made it a game for a while, but in the end, Ole Miss just too much depth. Ole Miss just 10 points against Ole Miss, and they bounce back against Alabama, excuse me. They bounce back with a very impressive win and a shootout against LSU. 
And you know how good that LSU offense is. And, of course, Ole Miss kind of followed some of the same concepts that Arkansas did defensively against that LSU defense. And, and it paid off. And then, and then, of course, LSU had a chance to win it and couldn't make a play. And then Arkansas gives Ole Miss a bit of a challenge, but uh, shorten the game on them. And, again, again, you start looking at this stuff. Offensively, the last couple of weeks, Ole Miss hasn't been nearly as explosive. I think a lot of that's because of how Arkansas and Auburn tried to manage the game. If you get out there and try to run with Ole Miss, you're going to get in trouble. But they ran the clock down, limited possessions, and that in turn kind of put some pressure on your opponent too. But Ole Miss was able to navigate through both of those games and win uh, by a touchdown. But I think you'll see Mississippi State probably have a similar approach. You just don't want to get into a shootout with Ole Miss. Let's just call it for what it is. They've got some really good offensive skill. Uh, so we'll take Ole Miss to win and cover. So your winners this week, Texas A&M, Georgia, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Ole Miss. So we're going to take three road winners this week. And uh, should be an interesting week of, uh, of college football, for sure. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. If you're looking to bring a large group to Starkville, Look no further than the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Just Google it. That's simple. No fancy website. Just Google the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. And if you book through Evolve, which I recommend, we're going to give you some incentive. Give you 10% off. Just by being a listener to this show, use promo code BSR10 and book through the Evolve website. And the cool thing, man, plenty of bedrooms. You get the expansive kitchen. You can buy some groceries and cook. You can cook out there. Got that great fire pit out in the back area. Uh, no close neighbors. So if you want to sit out by the fire, maybe uh, have an adult beverage or two and just enjoy being with your family, uh, this is better than the alternative of, of going and booking multiple hotel rooms, which can be so incredibly expensive because more times than not, you got to have that two-night minimum. It's quite the commitment. So if you have a large family like we do, and you've got older children, they maybe have children of their own, they need their own privacy, they can have it, but everybody can congregate in the communal areas. You can control the TV set, you can buy your own beverages and store them rather than having to go down to some uh, you know, hotel lounge and pay $7 for a cold beer. Yeah, Stark Vegas Clubhouse, and again, book to evolve and save 10% by using promo code BSR10. All right, uh, we did pick up a commitment last night. Braden, Brandon Jennings, excuse me. This was not a big surprise. Brandon Jennings, uh, a guy that uh, is well-traveled, shall we say, wrote about this today in The, uh, the Bones, but uh, would share this with you on the show. It's pretty incredible to think about this. So you have a young man who is a Florida State legacy. His dad, part of a national championship program there at Florida State. And then uh, it's ironic, he commits there and then ultimately flips to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Of course, uh, Harbaugh has been in the news here as of late. Be interesting to see how this whole uh, sign-stealing scandal resolves itself. And again, as Zach Arnett said on Monday, there is nothing illegal about stealing signs. There is something illegal about off-campus scouting and in-person scouting and then videotaping your opponent's signs and then sequencing it up with their video to kind of figure out what they're calling, when they're calling. 
Some people have said, oh, it's not a big deal. Listen, I was a high school baseball coach, and I specialized in stealing signs because we needed every advantage we could get. But uh, all that said, it's got nothing to do with Brandon Jennings. He flips to Michigan, and then just before the December signing period opened, he flips to Maryland, the Terrapins. He goes in there, and ESPN names him a midseason freshman All-American. Pretty impressive, right? Shortly after that, he enters the transfer portal and goes to Kansas State. Last the spring, leaves Kansas State, is granted a waiver to go to Central Florida. He spends four games on the field at Central Florida, so he counts that year as a redshirt year. The portal is no longer a thing for him because he not only has he used his one-time transfer exception, he was granted a hardship waiver for 2022. So he enrolls at Heinz Community College. The staff there tells me he has been a model student athlete there, always on time, comes to meeting, pays attention, takes care of his books, and now he's committed to Mississippi State. And so you look at that and say, Steve, he was committed to three different teams in high school. And now he has been uh, on three different campuses as a college player. And ultimately four, counting your junior college year, because you go from Maryland to Kansas State to Central Florida. So a circuitous route from one Brandon Jennings. And uh, in his first public comments, he made some very positive comments about uh, you know his commitment to Mississippi State, about Zach Arnett. I'll share some of those with you. We made those a... Uh, I made it a free article. Anytime we get a commitment, we we, uh, we make that free. But uh, Brandon Jennings, just over a week after receiving an offer from Mississippi State, elects to join the Bulldogs, and, and primarily because of the fact that um, you know the depth chart is to his liking. State's going to be losing a lot of backers this year, so you know we need some guys, we need some older guys. We've got some young guys we're excited about, but we need some older guys to come in and be stop stopgap guys. Uh, Brandon says, I was feeling everything about Mississippi State. I like the whole group of coaches. I like the players. I just really like the whole program. I can see myself building a nice future at Mississippi State. I feel like there's a big opportunity to me. I'm loving what they're doing with their guys. Those are his first public comments uh, about his commitment. To get a little deeper into the story, talking about how they can utilize him, I feel like with me being a hybrid linebacker that I can bring a lot of versatility to that linebacker group. I just really feel like my energy can bring a lot to the defense. If you watch his film, he is very much a sideline-to-sideline guy. He plays with a very violent temperament and uh, delivers a lot of big hits. And we need some physicality to position. Obviously, you know, with the production that we're losing with Jet and Buki, it's got to be replaced by somebody. Jennings goes on to say, I feel like I'm a linebacker that leads by example. I will say that I like to take action when I'm on the field. I love being the guy flying around making plays, getting my teammates all hyped up to play. I'm really excited about this opportunity. My family is also excited about the opportunity for me to play in the Southeastern Conference. I plan to attend the homecoming game for versus Kentucky. I'll also plan to do an official visit sometime in December. I believe it's going to be December the 8th. I'm also excited to see that the, what the coaches that the coaches are excited to have me. Uh, good job at Mississippi State. Now, the big question comes is like, Steve, can, can we count on his commitment to stick? Well, that's a good question. You know, he's already shown that uh, he is a guy that can be impressionable and that he is a guy that, um, you know, will change his mind from time to time. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, he's locked in. Obviously, he made the commitment because he liked the opportunity at Mississippi State. That's not to say we can take him for granted because – it may boil down to one of those situations, whoever talks to him last. Now, it's helpful because of the fact he is at Heinz. 
And it's also helpful, too, that uh, this is a guy that's already, you know, had the opportunity to kind of get out and go see some things, and now maybe it's time to find a home. And obviously, if he gets here, he can't utilize the transfer portal again unless he's a grad transfer. And so I have no idea how his academics look, none whatsoever. I don't know what his degree progress requirements are. Uh, but I know that uh, the chances of him coming to Mississippi State and then transferring out are pretty slim. So if he gets to Mississippi State, I believe we'll have him for two years. Uh, he does have two years of eligibility remaining, has two to play two, and uh, will enroll in January and take part in spring practices. Uh, so, yeah, is this a good get for State? Yes, it is. Again, again, this is a guy that was a highly recruited player, uh, has a lot of big-time potential, but has been a guy that's been a little bit flaky at times. I mean, I just kind of call it for what it is. I mean, it's not some big surprise. I'm not breaking any news here. And this is a guy, again, that was committed to three different college programs as a high school player. And so you're going to have to continue to recruit him. And what happens if somebody else comes in late? What if Florida comes in late? You know, that, that's one of the things, too. He had some issues, which is why he transferred back to the state of Florida to be closer to home. Uh, that's why he went to Central Florida. And, um, yeah, maybe didn't find what he wanted there. Moves on the hind. So at this point, Mississippi State benefits from that. Uh, that's the second commitment in eight days for the Bulldogs. Of course, Ashawn Shepard from Brandon High School commits last Thursday. I don't know what it is about Thursdays as of late and the Zach Arnett uh, dog talk show, but uh, back-to-back days, we've had story back-to-back weeks, we've had commitment stories to write. We're happy to write them. And uh, Rian Young with the uh, the first story out there, our Jeans Page uh, uh, recruiting analyst, Rian Young, doing a good job for us. And uh, now he's under contract with 247 full-time. Yeah. So we identified him as a guy. Uh, when he was with rivals, and he was already doing some high school stuff and has a really good relationship with recruits around the state. And because of the fact that he, you know, also a premier prep football player within the state at Louisville High School, Louisville High School, but, um, he is a guy that obviously uh, has some connections that maybe perhaps that I don't. And so that's just about getting bigger and better and stronger uh, in many respects. And so he was able to get Brandon on the phone shortly after the offer. Got him on the phone uh, yesterday before he even committed his graph, uh, tweeted his graphic out uh, about his commitment. So, uh, you know, big win for us. And, uh, again, I think when you work through the situation at State now, I know a lot of people are like, hey, Steve, this is his big year in State. Listen, it's a good year in State. It's not a great year in State. It's a good year. And, and I can take every one of these defensive linemen that we were so excited about at the beginning of the year and I can pick them apart, and I can make you think, you know what, I don't know if this kid will ever play a meaningful down. And that's the thing about high school players. There are no polished prospects. Every one of them are being recruited on their raw potential. Of course, you've got to have measurables, and you've got some guys out there that don't have great measurables. You've got some other guys out there that got really good film, but they're not exactly a great fit on a college level. And that's the thing. You know, we talk about the Nick Saban thing. Now, I have been to Alabama, and I have seen the recruiting board at Alabama. I know how technical Nick Saban and those guys recruit. There are certain guys, if they don't fit the measurements that they want at certain positions, they don't even recruit them. Alabama doesn't have to take tweeners. You know, I go back to the whole Kadarius Callaway thing. That was a guy that I felt was very much a tweener. He goes to Alabama, doesn't make it a semester. Ends up going to East Mississippi, becomes a running back, winds up at Old Dominion. You know, and so those are the things you look at when you're Alabama and you, you can pick the 25 or so guys that you want every year and everybody else plays with the leftovers. 
Uh, yeah, you should be good. Now, how the NIL thing impacts Nick Saban moving forward, because you know people will tell you privately he's not a big fan of NIL. You know, uh, Nick was famously quoted uh, in a recruitment years ago about a Mississippi player that he said, hey, that $10,000 that school's offering you will mean nothing compared to the millions you'll make when you graduate from Alabama and go on to the National Football League. Uh, it's a little more difficult undertaking these days to sell that because of the fact that uh, NIL money is so plentiful. And I've got some people telling me that some schools in the Southeastern Conference are out there throwing almost $100,000 out there for high school players. Uh, so we'll see. You know, But uh, things are changing, and hopefully Greg Sankey and the new leadership of the NCAA can kind of get their arms around this thing. And I think it's years away from having any real resolution. Uh, I suspect what will happen is the NCAA will put a new rule and some parameters in place, and then it's something that will be litigated out from there. We'll see how things go. And it's interesting, too, you, you go back and when you read these NCAA cases and so many people out there are, are threatening legal action or brought legal action, and one of the things it always boils down to is your participation in college athletics is completely voluntary. You play by their rules. Now, if you don't like the rules, you go through the leadership and you try to get them changed or you take them to court, as we saw with the O'Bannon lawsuit. Uh, that kind of opened up the floodgates for what we now know as the NIL era. You know, that was all about the video games. Hey, they're, they're profiting on this video game with my, with my likeness, and I'm not sharing in the proceeds. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. But what we have today is not what was originally intended. And so we'll see how things progress. But, uh, yeah, Mississippi State's focus here is to get some older players. Will there be some more high school guys added? You better believe it. And maybe that comes in February. I don't know. But I know between now and December, we have got to find guys in the junior college ranks and the transfer portal that can enroll in January, take part in spring practice, and help us be a competitive football team next year. That's not to say we're going to abandon the high school ranks. But again, this in-state class, probably not as good as I initially thought it was going to be. And that's what happens. You start getting film, you see guys in camp, and you begin to realize that you know maybe I got caught up early on in an offer sheet, and there's some people, that that's their only ammunition. They say, oh, well, he, he's got an offer from Alabama. Does he? Or did he get an invitation to camp? Is Alabama still in contact with him? Has there ever been a day he could pick up the phone and commit to Alabama? Well, if, he, if, if that's not the case, he didn't have an offer from Alabama. He had, a, he had a graphic. And more times than not, maybe put it together himself. And there are a lot of assistant coaches that are empowered out there to extend offers, and that's what Dr. Evil quotes. I know when Dan Mullen was here, he empowered his assistant coaches. Hey, if you go into high school and you find out this kid's got a bunch of offers and we know that he is a bona fide SEC player, you go ahead and offer him. Go ahead and extend the offer. But Dan Mullen ultimately had to sign off on taking a kid's commitment. And more times than not, you offer a kid, and if he wants to jump in the boat immediately and he's got 25 offers out there, you begin to ask yourself, um, you know, we're not that special, Right. Unless the kid grew up with a connection to Mississippi State, you're not going to get that out-of-state kid with double-digit offers immediately. And so you say, we want that kid to come to camp. And, it, and many colleges around the country have that same format, that in the end, the head coach has to sign off on accepting the commitment. You can offer who you want, but you can't commit without the head coach's signature. And so one of the things years ago that I thought was rather interesting, before Dan Mullen would even watch film on a lot of players outside of quarterbacks, 
is the area coach and the position coach both had to agree on the offer, right? So let's say John Havasey goes out in the state of Georgia and he finds a cornerback prospect that he thinks is good enough to play at Mississippi State. Well, then he in turn would take that film, have it cut out by Neil Stubchinski, who now works for jeanspage.com. How about that? Yeah, that's nice to be able to have that guy. He'll have a, uh, a stop report today about uh, the newest commitment, Brandon Jennings. And then they would take those cut-ups and look at them, the position coach. And then after, if the area coach and the position coach were both in agreement, we should offer the kid. Then, as a staff, we would watch film. And then Mullen would say yes or no if he was to take or not. And so there are a lot of guys out there that have offers from Mississippi State and other programs that really don't have the opportunity to join that program. Now, on the junior college side of this, these offers come much later for junior college players. Unless it's really like a D1 bounce-back guy, it's pretty rare that you see a ton of offers. I mean, you go back to Pernell McPhee, right? You know, Pernell McPhee was the guy that committed to Mississippi State pretty early, and then later in the process, you know, Miami gets involved, Georgia gets involved. He ends up taking an official visit to Georgia. And so don't harshly judge the junior college prospects today based on an offer sheet because as we've seen time and time again, junior college players tend to get more offers after the season is over. Once their season film has made the rounds and coaches are done with their own regular seasons and they begin to kind of push into recruiting mode, don't be surprised to see many of these junior college players that Mississippi State's targeting now uh, get some more opportunities in the month of December and get some invitations to take official visits. And so uh, I remember just two weeks ago, uh, Jaquan Bolden, a guy at State, still hasn't offered, and I think they should, an offensive lineman from Mississippi Gulf Coast, we put it out there. He got a couple offers. You know, UT Chattanooga, and I can't remember the other one off the top of my hand. Uh, top of my head. The next thing you know, Arkansas offers. Now, Sam Pittman's team has struggled this year, but Sam Pittman knows offensive linemen. Even though their offensive line hadn't been very good this year, they need some stopgap guys. And so now all of a sudden, they Bolden has it offer from Arkansas. People are like, oh, well, now I see. I suspect when you get to the end of this process, you're going to have some of those same Eureka-type moments as some of these guys that State is on early because, number one, Mississippi State is here. And let's not forget, just two weeks ago, Mississippi State had coaches at every junior college game in the state of Mississippi. And so now you're seeing new names emerge on the radar. Now, there are other programs out there that haven't had the luxury of going to every in-state junior college game. You know, the evaluation period is pretty much up now anyway. And so State has a little bit of a head start on some of these guys, and we're going to have to work hard to keep some guys. We are. Tyler Woodard, of course, con- continues to hear from Alabama and others, and he is an Alabama native, and he's locked in with State, and I fully expect him uh, to sign with Mississippi State. But don't be surprised if he doesn't pick up a handful of offers between now and the day that he signs. That's important to understand. And so I share that with you just so people can take a deep breath here. A lot of people are like, oh, but Steve, I don't understand. It feels like we're scrambling. And you know what? Maybe we are. Am I concerned about recruiting? Yeah, a little bit. I thought we'd be a little bit farther along. I don't like losing P.J. Woodland. And listen, P.J. Woodland, I think, is absolutely a college football player. Is he a difference maker at the Power 5 level? I've never really had that feeling because he is a little bit on the smaller side. But he is a guy I think could play nickel. And, of course, if LSU takes him, and they've been known as DBU, it kind of validates the fact that, hey, we were on the right kid early. We just couldn't hold him, right? And so we've got to kind of push ahead here now and finish up this class. But in order for us to be a competitive team next year – we're going to have to get some more experienced players. We're going to have to go get some junior college guys. We're an experienced veteran team this year. 
which is part of the angst about the season. It's like you look up and say, hey, why are we struggling as much as we are when we return so much outside of the secondary? We had, uh, you know, if memory serves me correct, the most experienced roster in the Southeastern Conference. That was one of the familiar talking points throughout the offseason, but we're not playing that way. And so you need this team to kind of come together and finish this thing up, but you're going to lose a ton of players, especially along the line of scrimmage on both sides of the line, offensive and defensive, that you're going to have to replace. And, you know, throwing young guys out there sometimes is a real dicey proposition. So uh, we've got to readjust, as we've talked recently on this show. Uh, The transfer rate for Mississippi State is the third highest in the Southeastern Conference in the five years of the transfer portal era. And some of that's associated with us having to make two coaching changes during that period. Uh, of course, you know, Tennessee was the worst, but they needed an NCAA scandal to get that. And there's Mississippi State and Auburn, uh, 12th and 13th. And the one commonality between the two is two coaching changes in five years. And so you've had some guys leave the program. You've had guys that maybe didn't fit your scheme, so you process those guys out. Well, now we've got to take some corrective action. We've got to bring some guys in that can come in. And there's always an acclimation period for junior college players. There just is. It takes a little while for those guys to get going. You go all the way back to Nico Autry, even Pernell McPhee. I mean, Montez Sweat, uh, who was a first-round draft pick. But, you know, Montez's first year here, you know, it took a while for him to even get to the quarterback. You know, he, he could make him nervous, but he couldn't get him on the ground. So the speed of the game in the SEC takes some getting used to. So uh, I, I can't sit here and tell you. I, I don't get to pick the players. That's one thing people always say. Well, Steve, I don't understand this. You know, I I don't make the decisions. We just kind of report the news, and then I'll share my thoughts on it with you guys as we get it. But uh, but anyway, nevertheless, new commitment, and uh, we do expect some more here in the uh, in the coming weeks. Going to be a big couple of official visit weekends, uh, December first and December eighth. Those weekends will be huge for state. All right, if you haven't done so, go to WhenTheBottomFalls.com and you can uh, pre-order When the Bottom Falls. We're just uh, a little over a couple weeks away from that book being, uh, the production being finished on that. should be around November the 9th. And uh, we'll, we'll have them shipped into Madison. I'll go sign them and they'll put them in the mailbox to you. Yeah, so we'll get that taken care of. We look forward to you having that. While you're there, you can order all my sports books. It's Christmas time. to Start thinking about that, Mom. Every Bulldog fan in the world needs a copy of Dog Pile. Period. And maybe every Ole Miss fan in the world needs a copy of Flim Flam. So maybe you've got that smart aleck Ole Miss brother-in-law. Let's have some fun with him this Christmas. Uh, get him a signed copy of Flim Flam. You get Flim Flam, Dog Pile, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. And, of course, Alpha Dogs and Stark Villains quantities are very limited on both of those books. And, uh, you know, I don't know when we're going to reprint them. And I don't know what I'm going to write next year or if I write one next year. But uh, I am excited about when the bottom falls coming out. And I look forward to, uh, to reading and hearing your reviews. Hey, let's get out of here and get over to Auburn and see if we can go win a college football game. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.